Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Peg, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. I've got an important show for you today, and it's a follow-up from last week's program on cyber safety. And while this is an important show also for parents, and you should discuss what you learned today with your children, you may want to have younger children step away from the radio. Uh, We're going to be talking about some sensitive information today. You know, nearly 50% of online users say they've experienced some form of cyber harassment or cyber bullying. And the number of cases is on the rise and brings with it some pretty serious outcomes. Some people uh, become depressed, feel hopeless, and may even contemplate suicide. Well, my guest today is the founder and creator of Fifty Shades of Silence, Darieth Chisholm, and she's courageously using her voice to spread the message of giving dignity and respect to victims of cyber harassment and online crimes. And Darieth Chisholm is an Emmy Award-winning television personality and former NBC News anchor who found herself at the center of a cyber nightmare when she discovered nude pictures and videos of herself posted online by someone she once loved. And Darieth tells her courageous story of overcoming cyber harassment and extortion on today's episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. And we'll hear from Darieth in just a moment. But first, Living Well with Dr. Pegg is brought to you by SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education and training. And the show's coming to you live today from Denver, Colorado, on KLZ 560 AM. And whenever you're away from your radio, you can stream Living Well with Dr. Pegg online at drpegradio.com. And to listen to previous episodes of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives or to connect with our sponsor to purchase one of my books or to register for one of my upcoming workshops and events. And if you're feeling stuck and ready for change, register for my Do Something Different for Change personal transformation retreat in Denver on Saturday, December 30th, 2017. Take advantage of early bird pricing now through the end of October. Space is limited, so go to drpegradio.com slash retreat to register today. And if you love to walk or run or eat pie, Join me at the Pumpkin Pie 5K and 10K race in Denver on Saturday, November 18th. It's a family-friendly race for runners and walkers, and all finishers get a huge piece of pumpkin pie at the finish line. You can kind of work off those calories in advance, and you'll get a race t-shirt and finisher's medal, and the cost to register for the 5K before November 1st is only $25. Go to drpegradio.com slash pumpkin And click the Join a Team button, and you'll select my team, Living Well with Dr. Pegg, from the drop-down menu. And I'm giving away some cool prizes to the first 10 people to register and join my team, Living Well with Dr. Pegg. Again, go to drpegradio.com slash pumpkin to register. My guest today is Darieth Chisholm, and she's an Emmy Award-winning television personality and former NBC News anchor who was the victim of cyber harassment. If you or someone you know has been the victim of cyber harassment or cyber bullying, you can join our conversation today by calling 303-477-5600. Or if you have a question for Darius Chisholm, give us a call. Again, that's 303-477-5600. And Darius Chisholm, thanks so much for being with us by phone today. Welcome to the program. 
Peggy, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. It's a blessing to have you. Uh, thanks for agreeing to share your story with us today. I know it's it's not easy, but I know my listeners, and I certainly appreciate it. And it's really become kind of a calling and a mission for you to, to share and, and bring this issue into the light and out of the darkness and silence. It certainly has. It was not something that I chose to have happen to me or really dealt with very well in the very beginning, but after a lot of self-reflection and prayer, it made sense for me to use both my voice, my platform, and definitely this story to shed the light on these issues of cyberbullying, cybersexual assault, revenge porn, even human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And to the degree that this is a more prevalent conversation that can be had to warn parents about the dangers, impress upon people the need to be safe online, and to encourage stricter law enforcement and better legislation is really what this mission for me now is all about. Right, right. And we thank you for being a champion for those who don't have the platform that you have. And and you are an Emmy Award-winning television personality. You're an author, speaker, a coach, and former NBC News anchor, uh, talk about where you were in your life and how things were going before you found yourself at, at the center of your own cyber nightmare. Well, life for me is quite busy, as you mentioned, all of those hats that I wear. And I absolutely enjoy the work that I do, uh, working with small business owners, individuals, as well as speaking and promoting my book. And life, of course, is quite busy when you're traveling a lot and, and you're on the road, really encouraging people to live their absolute best life. I happened to be at the end of a relationship that uh, I had been in for some time when I lived in Jamaica and ended the relationship after I discovered uh, a lot of information that uh, was very troubling and concerning for me, but also um, really began to understand this, what was becoming a very controlling relationship. And so I ended the relationship and hadn't talked with him for several months. And then on New Year's Day of this year, I got a phone call from him, a very angry phone call with him telling me that he would kill me. He told me he would shoot me in my head or stab me in my heart if I didn't return to him in Jamaica, to him to this relationship. And so you can imagine, um, if you can, it's really hard to, mm-hmm. but what, what that feeling is like when someone threatens you and threatens your life. Mm-hmm. And as much as I, you know, tried to talk him down and, and really think that, that there was no serious claim to this, what happened after that was really where all of this began. Because within a few weeks after that, I started receiving text messages from him with very harassing memes and photos and videos that he had taken of me while I was asleep living with him. And I was nude in those pictures. And, um, of course, these were photos that, uh, as I said, were taken almost probably a year prior to that uh, while I was asleep and had no idea that he'd held it. So I really consider this very premature um, and premeditated, I should say, Um, and vindictive in many ways. And what I'm coming to understand is that there are so many other people who at the end of a relationship, whether they've given their photos in consent, or in my case, without my knowledge and consent, that unfortunately are faced with this when they're dealing with a very vengeful boyfriend or girlfriend, depending on the relationship. Mm -hmm. And you said there were signs that he was controlling that that and other things are what led you to 
and the relationship to, to begin with. And so um, we see that this behavior might be linked to that as well, just that controlling um, uh, aggressive behavior that just manifests itself in a different way. And so we can, we can even um, share your story as a kind of a, a, a call to action for, for people in relationships. When you're seeing those signs of being in a controlling relationship, that's not healthy, it's not normal, and it can play out in any number of detrimental ways. It certainly can, and that was the reason why it ended the relationship and really thought that the relationship ended relatively peaceful. Um, I did not at all suspect that, that he would be even capable of doing this, although I guess as I look back in retrospect and I now think about some of the conversations and the information that I knew, that perhaps if I had known that then the signs would have pointed. And, and you know, you obviously... in as work as a, as a doctor, spend a lot of time talking with people about really looking at the warning signs and understanding the behavior of others. And it's sometimes the best, in the best case, I would say, is if your gut is telling you something, mm-hmm. if you sense something, you have to listen to it. You have to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we as believers know that uh, that gut is often the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to us and trying to guide us and, and protect us. And we find ourselves sometimes minimizing the signs that we saw. And maybe we don't have the understanding uh, to know what they really mean, but we can find ourselves minimizing. And when you hear yourself saying things like, well, he's just, you know, fill in the blank. I just want to share that as a as a red flag to my listeners. When, when you see yourself minimizing behaviors that make you uncomfortable, that really is a red flag. And that's something to be paid attention to, and you may not have the, um, you know, psychological knowledge or expertise to fully understand it, but my message today, and I think you would agree, Darius, is to trust your gut. Don't minimize inappropriate behavior. Absolutely not, and for me, I knew that, which was part of the reason why I ended the relationship. Mm -hmm. Subsequently, after this happened, uh, he, and this is unfortunately what I'm coming to find, is I've now talked with a lot of victims and survivors who face this type of torment is that it's it's often that the the person who is doing this is in whatever capacity trying to continue to wield their control mm-hmm. over someone and you know they've got you in many instances because who wants to have any damaging information or embarrassing or humiliating information released and so oftentimes the victim is held hostage by that person, and that was my case, uh, which was, if you don't return, I'm going to release them. And, you know, people hear that oftentimes even in abusive relationships. If you don't return, if you tell someone, or if you reach out for help, and it really opens this up to the larger conversation around abusive behavior and how people need to get help early on uh, because whether it's in, in this case where it's in the cyber world or unfortunately you know, it's physical assault, it, it really manifests from the same sick mind. Mm. And so there's no way to really prepare to get that first text and that first message and see those first images. Uh, how did that impact you emotionally at first and then over time? You said you did feel like you were being held hostage, but um, that's got to just be devastating. It is devastating, and you know, I would say you move through stages, and the first one is shock. At least that was for me. It was not unbel- like looking at this thinking, is that me? 
and you know trying to figure it out. It was as if it was like, wait a second, what, what, where did this come from? Why are you doing this? How can you do this? So there's the shock that hits you, and then you realize, hey, wait a second, this is out there. Anyone can see this, and the potential for damage clearly, and especially in my case, could have been huge. And so you go through from shock to more or less disbelief to what I call devastation in that it really starts to impact your, your sense of dignity. Um, there's this sense of shame that, that, that comes over you. And, you know, he said to me, I'm going to silence and destroy you, knowing that the, the release of this could at any particular time do that to my celebrity and my credibility. And so that is what held me, when I use the word held as hostage, that's really the place that I was at. And, you know, even in all of my attempts to beg him to remove it, it didn't work. And then ultimately those photos were put onto a website. And he sent me an email and text messages saying, here it is. Now go look at it. And anybody in the world can see it. And, and I often refer to this as cyber rape. And many of the victims who've reached out to me have expressed that they felt the same way, that now so many people can see them in this position. And it really sends you into a dark place. Mm-hmm. So it took me several months of feeling that way and, and really trying to cope with it on my own until I decided that I've got, you know, it, it, you know, I knew I could have called the police early on. I didn't because, as most people, I think we think we can talk the person down. But I'm here to say to anyone, there are some steps that you want to take very early on to help to get this under control Mm -hmm. and to get the help that you need. And trying to do it on your own is not the end. Right. And we'll get into what those practical steps are um, as we continue our conversation. And I can imagine, even though you ended the relationship and this person did this horribly devastating thing to you, it, it was still someone you once loved. And so to call the police and kind of open the door and go down that path is not something that you really want to have to do. But again, you'll share what the steps are that a person should take to, to um, protect themselves. But I can imagine it, you were felt very conflicted. Oh, I did. And, and I'm, I know many people do. And the, the, the conflict was on several layers, not only, as you mentioned, being in a relationship and knowing, you know, now we have to involve the police, but then, of course, the concern about what would people say, what would they think. And then, of course, having the police, you know, they, I knew they'd need to investigate it and mm-hmm. see the material. And so it only, in many cases, puts someone into more of that silence. That's why I use the, the phrase, shades of silence. Mm-hmm. Well, sadly, what happened to you is not unique, and that's why I'm so grateful that you are coming out of the darkness and out of the silence to share uh, your story, not just, you know, for people to hear, you know, these painful details, but really uh, to shed the light on this issue and how people can protect themselves after the fact, and certainly we'll talk about prevention. How can you limit your vulnerability um, to, to an attack such as this. And, of course, it, w- it was not your fault. The photos were taken without your consent. You sure- surely didn't ask for them to be shared. And yet there are still things we can do to, um, to, to possibly prevent this from happening and certainly how to respond when it does. But let me share a couple of statistics, uh, Darius, and, and have you um, comment on them. Um, between 25% and 40% of American adult Internet users say they have been harassed online. So this is more common than we might imagine. 
and 67% know their harassers, just as in your case. And among people under the age of 35, uh, that number rises to 71% know their harassers. Uh, in cases of stalking, 25% uh, of stalking victims report that it is cyber stalking, for example, getting emails from their stalkers. Uh, and 11% of victims are stalked for five years or more. Um, and uh, so we know this is more common than it may seem. And so we're grateful that you're sharing your story. And I would say that those numbers are probably very low because mm. those are those folks who wanted to answer mm. and or were contacted. Harassment, cyber harassment, is whether they're doing it through text or email or online or through social media or onto a website, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. And so that type of communication really falls under the auspices of cyber harassment. And if you were to take a, a larger poll and include those, more people would probably admit that on some level they've been bullied, harassed, stalked, either sent information that they didn't want to receive, perhaps uh, even nude photos of someone else, and or received harassing means or information or threats to them. Yes. And, you know, we've reached a point, in my opinion, in society where we've become so disillusioned about it and almost numb because mm -hmm. we see so much material moving past us so quickly online and we've become desensitized to it. And to the fact that because we think, oh, it's not happening to me, therefore it's not a big deal. Right. But because we're never getting off the Internet at this point, we'll always have our cell phones and laptops, and we'll always be exposed to one another via some form of communication. We have to be very practical about our approaches yes. and use, but also in our ability to better enforce practical ways yes. to be protected as well as to punish predators and perpetrators. Yes, and we'll get into those topics as our as we continue our interview. My guest today is Emmy Award-winning television personality and former NBC News anchor, Darieth Chisholm. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, Darieth will tell us how she reclaimed her life from cyber harassment and some practical steps to take if you find yourself the unfortunate victim of cyber a cyber attack. Stay with us. We'll be back. Are you prepared for a sudden cardiac arrest? Having an AED is simply not enough. School athletic coaches are required to have CPR and AED training, but they can only save a life with properly functioning and maintained equipment. Maintain compliance and reduce your liability with AED program management from SSI Guardian. Buy an AED and receive a two-year management program for free. Call us today at 877-878-5800 or visit us at SSIGuardian.com. Do you ever make changes, but after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into old behaviors and patterns? If you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. 
If you're ready for change, join psychologist, author, and transformation specialist, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark for a one-day, do-something-different-for-a-change personal transformation retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Dr. Peg's Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat is coming to Denver on Saturday, December 30th. Go to drpegradio.com forward slash retreat to register today. Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 Security Consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Darius Chisholm, Emmy Award-winning television personality and former NBC News anchor who found herself at the center of her own cyber nightmare when she was harassed online by an ex-boyfriend. And if you would like to share this interview with a friend or family member, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. And you can also join our conversation today by calling 303-477-5600 if you have a question for Darius Chisholm about cyber harassment and cyber bullying. Give us a call, 303-477-5600. Now, Darius... Um, we got a question uh, during the break that um, for someone who might be reluctant to call the police, what are your thoughts about um, asking or hiring a private investigator to kind of help you with this, um, bringing down the pictures and finding out who's done this to you if it's a case of someone you didn't know? Well, there's a couple of approaches you can take to that, and, and I would say to definitely get legal support. And I'm not an attorney, so um, I definitely can't recommend anyone. But I would say to find an attorney who is versed in this area and understands in your state what statute to uh, use in your case. And in some instances, and I will say this again, I'm not an attorney, one of the best approaches would be with an attorney, especially if you know the person and you have evidence. So be sure to keep all evidence is to seek a protection from stalking or protection from abuse. Mm -hmm. And in some states, there is a statute for cyber-stalking, and that is one of the first ways to get in front of a judge quickly. And that would be my, my definite recommendation. In terms of hiring a private investigator, by all means, that, you know, if, if that's the direction you want to go, I would say consider that, do it. I would say, though, one of the first steps would be, especially if you know where your content is online, is to engage and or use a takedown service. There are many of them out there. I use the one that I use to have my website removed very quickly um, is DCMA Takedown. There's a link on our website, 50shadesofsilence.com, but I will say that those can be very reputable and very quick to remove content. I can tell you that personally, when I contacted um, some of the the website developers as well as Google 
typically they encourage people to get a court order. But I can tell you that it, it, court orders take a very long time, and it's very expensive to take your case through court. So contacting a, a takedown service would be one of the first ways to get the information removed. There are also ways that you can be very proactive if your content is showing up on social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. On our website at 50shadesofsilence.com, we have a thorough removal guide with tips and steps to take for each of those platforms where you can work to get some of it taken down if you don't want to engage with a takedown service. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And that's 50shadesofsilence.com with the number 5050. And I also have a link back to Darius Chisholm and 50 Shades of Silence on my webpage, drpegradio.com. Uh, so that's really good advice. Um, notify the authorities, try to get a court order, hire or engage a takedown service, or follow some of the tips that you share on your website for how people can uh, take down some of these images themselves and contact the social media platforms and kind of uh, enforce the policies that they have. They have a process, um, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, they all have processes that you can follow uh, to have these um, images removed and blocked. And so uh, good good resources on Darith Chisholm's website, 50shadesofsilence.com. Now, Darith, you had other obstacles, um, legally, logistically, technology, even internationally, because this person lives in Jamaica. Uh, talk about some of those obstacles and then where you are in that process, how you've overcome them. Yeah, so I'm still within the courts. This is both, I have both civil and criminal charges pending here in the United States as I'm also pursuing charges in Jamaica. When you're dealing with a person who is exacting this type of behavior against you online from another country, it makes this so much more complicated. Mm -hmm. Ironically, as part of my documentary that I'm filming for Fifty Shades of Silence, I interviewed a DMC, or excuse me, DMCA, which is the takedown service that I use, and the president of that company shared a really, really startling fact with me, and he said, I can tell you that 90% of the people that we're working with are U.S.-based citizens who have predators that are outside of the United States. Wow. I, that that floored me, and and I just could not even reason with that. And part of it, and this is where my frustration, quite frankly, and really prompted me to decide to shoot the documentary and, and really tell a larger story, much larger than myself and the other victims that we've interviewed, is that we are not prepared to deal with the international ramifications as it relates to online behavior. You know, our, we, we are trailing behind. Our, our legal system is archaic in terms of properly prosecuting. But then when you step outside of the United States, in many instances, it becomes very hard to find and prosecute. And, you know, I have said over and over again that we, in many instances, are bound by our the jurisdiction that we live in, in terms of seeking some judicial reprieve or support, and yet, isn't the Internet international? So why are we dealing with it with, you know, drawn lines in your county? So it is, you know, and I know there are agencies out there that are working, and, and you know, there are many people who have been in the fight for a very long time at this, and, and I applaud them and support them, and many of them we're featuring in the documentary. But we've got such a long way to go, 
and yet we will always be on the Internet, so we've got to move faster. Right, and that uh, that's the whole point of the Internet is to break down those barriers, and we're, we're citizens of this global uh, world, and so that there are barriers based on jurisdiction and um, uh, other countries have different laws and policies really um, makes it tough for, for someone who's been victimized. Uh, you also talked about the connection to human trafficking. And so we, we know with the statistics that most victims of cyber attacks know their harasser, and yet we have this whole um, element of human trafficking that sometimes is originating outside of the U.S. and targeting especially young people in, in, in the U.S. And so that just complicates it even further when um, it's beyond our borders. And even within our borders, what we find is that many of the, in many cases, there are children who are lured online. They, you know, develop a relationship with someone online who they assume is perhaps their age. Mm -hmm. This typically happens with young, you know, kids. They're going back and back and forth and engaging in what they believe is a friendship with someone, you know, who is their age. And those types of lurings are so... Uh, Kids are so vulnerable, and they're left in a place where they start to establish these relationships. They open up. They begin to trust someone. All of a sudden, there's the opportunity, hey, let's meet. You know, my family's going to be in town. I'll be in town. And then they go out to meet someone, and they're snatched. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, you know, we've, we are scheduled to interview a few people who, uh, one person who survived it and another person who, unfortunately, they're still looking for their child. Mm -hmm. And so worrying online is yet another extension of a cyber crime. Wow. And we had a show last week. You called in last week with my guest, Clay Cranford. He calls himself the cyber safety cop. And so we talked about the vulnerabilities and the dangers for our children and our teens, that, that um, social media and, the inter and Internet access and smartphones makes our children so vulnerable. And so with all the research that you've done and having been a victim yourself, uh, what kind of advice can you offer to parents uh, to help to keep their children safe? You should know what's on their device, without a doubt, especially you bought it. Yeah. You bought it. It's yours. You know, we give our children a great deal of freedom, especially with our phone, with their phones. And their phones open them up and expose them to the world. Mm -hmm. And to the degree that you want to keep them safe, you need to know what's on the phone. There are a ton of parental apps that can be placed on children's phones. You can get tracking. You can find out where they've been. You can stop and block them from going to certain sites. You should also know... What are, you know, nowadays there's, you know, I think most of us think that there are only a few social media apps that children are engaging with. There are a lot of others out there, and they come up daily. And so it's really important to know what's in the marketplace if your child has downloaded it and is using it on their phone and their laptop. Uh, to, to definitely be aware of it and put any forms of parental blocks on. And put your foot down for doing it. This is not, you know, if you, especially if you have a child who's under the age of 18 and you've purchased the phone. In my opinion, you bought it. You want to be able to protect them. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is it, you know, this, this idea that, you know, children now, they spend a lot more time by themselves and they're generally in front of their computers or their, their phones. And so when they are locked away in their bedrooms or another room and you don't know what they're doing for long periods of time, you should. 
their way. It's as if you've let them out the door and they've run into a stranger and you don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe deciding that there is a place that you are allowed to be on the computer and it's in the living room or in the kitchen or someplace where the family gathers and not necessarily up late at night in their bedrooms by themselves. And, you know, I, I'm not here to, to encourage parents or I should say enforce parents to you know, have certain rules in their home, but I would encourage you to make sure as it relates to their devices that you know what's going on, what's on them, when they're on it, and who they're communicating with. Mm-hmm. Excellent advice, Darius. And I'm going to add to uh, that advice and guidelines that you just offered for parents some other information that um, the Cyber Safety Cop shared last week on the program, and folks can listen to that podcast Uh, in my program archives. But also, you mentioned the takedown company DMCA, and on their website, they have some wonderful information as well and guidelines for parents in in addition to the things you've shared. Um, One simple thing is teach your child or teen to never share private or identifying information, Um, even things like their name, their address, their school. Don't share that kind of information with someone online that, that, that your child doesn't actually know in person, in real life, because a predator can use that information to groom or locate your child or teen. So we were talking about human trafficking and um, them pretending to be someone of a similar age and kind of luring them into meeting them face-to-face. And they utilize the information that young people post online to develop that rapport and that entree um, to have access to them. They also recommend strengthen the privacy settings on all social network sites, and that would be true for adults as well, to not post things that just the whole world can see and download your images and take them and Photoshop them, share them, or do whatever they want with them. So we want to protect our information online. Uh, They also recommend, especially for uh, young people, that they disable geotagging on their mobile devices because it has the ability to automatically pinpoint and disclose your child's location, and obviously that makes them vulnerable. Uh, Similarly, uh, talk with your children about the dangers of checking in. Uh, We can go to a concert or go to the mall or wherever and click, you know, check in. This is where I am right now. Again, sharing their exact location on social media and these check-in apps uh, makes them vulnerable. Um, along the lines of what you shared, Darius, of you're the parent, you purchased this device, you pay for the service. Uh, parents should know the passwords on all devices and for all social media that's used by our, ch- our, our child or teen. And we should check those devices and those apps regularly, as you said. Um, and if you do suspect your child or teen is being cyberbullied or that someone is maybe grooming them um, for human trafficking, um, try to be supportive, get the facts, uh, contact the school or law enforcement, um, and teach your child or teen um, what cyberbullying even looks like so they recognize it when they see it. And then finally, oh, mm-hmm, in terms of um, sexting, which is a big deal, especially with apps like Snapchat, um, t- uh, teaching young people... Uh, that sharing, ex- taking explicit photos, sharing them between phones or devices, sending those photos um, is, is really uh, something that should be avoided at all costs. Um, that those images, even if they share them um, willingly, voluntarily with a boyfriend, there's no guarantee that that phone won't be stolen, that um, those images won't be shared when they break up, um, that in retaliation, kind of as in your case, the photos were not shared, were not taken with your consent, let alone shared 
um, the, but in the aftermath of a breakup, those images can be sent out, and that is uh, more common than we think. So some really good tips um, from DMCA on um, parents and, and how to approach social media, Internet, and uh, smartphones with, with their children. Most definitely. We also have a list of other ways to keep children safe, children and teens, on our website at 50shadesofsilence.com under Internet Safety Tips. Excellent. And it's inclusive of all of the things that you mentioned and, and more points, as well as some additional resources as to what to do and how best to do it, and even understanding the languaging, because, you know, sometimes parents are completely unaware of, for instance, geotagging or sexting or some of the, the common language that we've talked about, but, but they may not know. And mm-hmm. so there are some resources available there to help parents become aware of that. The other thing I would mention, too, just to add to that, is to know the passwords. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, great, and this, this could definitely be, be the case with older children, your teens. Um, where, you know, you've, you've given them the phone, you've talked about it, they're aware of it, and yet they still have areas on their phone that are locked or you don't have access to. You may want to have an open conversation and say, you know, I do trust you. I do understand that, you know, I'm not just necessarily going through your phone, but I want access to all of the passwords in the event that you do need to recover some information quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that would be an add-in point I would Right. And it really is just about accountability and responsibility. Um, Clay Cranford last week said, you know, I I love you too much to not be involved. (laughs) And so it's a level of accountability for your your, um, young people that, yes, we trust you, and yet you're still influenced by your peers and peer pressure. And we want to just make sure that you're safe. So having that open communication is so critically important. Uh, Before we go to break, Darius, um, I'm going to just share a couple other Uh, tips. And then when we come back in our last segment, we'll talk about what you did to recover emotionally from such a devastating personal attack. What was most helpful for you? So we'll, we'll get that information from you after the break. But just some things for adults and children. We really want to be mindful of um, when we do take pictures of ourselves that we're, that are compromising photos, and we're doing that voluntarily with an intimate partner, we never want to send them to anyone, period. Because again, even if you trust that person, you stay with them forever, they're never going to seek revenge against you. Their phone could be stolen or lost, and those images could be accessed and get into um, the hands of people who don't have good intentions towards you. I'm speaking with Darius Chisholm, and she is a Uh, Emmy Award-winning television personality, former NBC News anchor. We're talking about cyber safety, cyber harassment, uh, revenge porn, as it's called, cyber attacks. And when we come back, we'll hear from Darius on how she recovered from such a devastating attack. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well 
well-being of every student, teacher, and school employee. From early childhood solutions to advanced training for teachers and administrators, the 21st Century Safe School is the most complete and comprehensive approach available to schools and universities. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the safest environment. Take action today by calling us at 877-878-5800 and learn more about this innovative approach at SSIGuardian.com. You can learn a lot about yourself and God from a dog. When her children asked for a dog, this mom got them gerbils. So imagine their surprise, and hers, when she adopted an abandoned dog that she met in Dallas, Texas, just one day after her divorce. In a way that only God could orchestrate, her spur-of-the-moment decision to take in a little dog she named Dallas was just the beginning of a seven-year journey that transformed her life and taught her to see herself and God in a whole new light. Read Doggy Tales, Lessons on Life, Love, and Loss I Learned from My Dog, a delightful and heartwarming book by psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Part memoir, part Christian inspiration, Doggy Tales is a must-read for anyone who wants to learn to recognize God's voice, even in the most unlikely places. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll love Doggy Tales. Go to drpegradio.com books to purchase your copy today. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. You're listening to Living Well with Dr. Peg. And my guest today is Daria Chisholm. Daria, thanks so much for sharing, I'm sure, a, a difficult story, but you've got a mission and a purpose that we're going to talk about in this segment. How can listeners get in touch with you? Well, definitely. At our website, 50shadesofsilence.com. That is the number, 550shadesofsilence.com. There's a contact me button there. You can also simply email me at 50shadesofsilence.com. You can also go directly to my website, which is dariuschism.com. Either way, you're able to contact me there or send me an email at info at dariuschism.com. Excellent. Thank you. And I'll also have a link to Darius's information on my website. Again, that's drpegradio.com. And if you want to share this interview with a friend or family member, and I do encourage you to, I'll have the recording posted um, after this show air lives. Uh, go to drpegradio.com for a link um, to that uh, recording that you can share and also to reach out to Darius Chisholm. And again, as well, at drpegradio.com, you can learn more about my December 30th Do Something Different for a Change personal transformation retreat. If you're ready to experience lasting change, go to drpegradio.com slash retreat to register. And if you'd like to join the conversation today with Darius Chisholm, give us a call at 303-477-5600. And again, Daria, thank you so much for sharing your story. And again, it's not just to get into the painful details, but really to provide people hope and some practical strategies and information and resources. And um, we're going to talk about the documentary uh, that you're working on. Um, but first, I want to um, have you give some, offer some insights and some advice to listeners who are going through something like this or, or really any painful, devastating um, occurrence. Uh, what did you do to recover emotionally? What was most helpful uh, in addition to your background as a television personality and, and news anchor, you are a, a coach and um, uh, you help people live their best lives, as you say. And so sometimes uh, we can coach others 
And we don't always apply those same strategies for ourselves because we're caught up in the, mi- in the midst of it. So talk about where that shift happened for you, where you realized, I've got to do something different to be able to move forward. And um, what can you offer to our listeners in, in, in terms of um, advice and a strategy of how to overcome such a devastating uh, uh, circumstance? You know, the irony in all of this is that, you know, I, I spend most of my days coaching my clients on how to live the best, their best lives. Yeah. And, of course, in that period of time for me, that was not the case at all. And, uh, but what I discovered was a few different things. And one of them was, what was it that I was carrying that was making this so hard for me to even talk about it, let alone begin the stages of help that I knew that I needed to, to take? And in prayer with a friend one day, she said to me, you need to release the shame. And I didn't even realize that that is what this was making me feel, like very ashamed, very embarrassed, humiliated, angry, hurt. But shame was for me what came up. And in that prayer and right afterwards was this immediate release Mm -hmm. from my shoulders, from my belly, from my heart, this sense of, wait a second, I didn't do anything wrong, and I don't have to remain in this place. I can choose otherwise. Now, you have to know I know this. <laughs> I know this because I speak about this. I teach this. But in that moment, I didn't, and I was clouded by that. And so this sense of releasing the shame was tremendous. And so from there, I was able to do what I encourage people to always do, and that is begin to ask yourself really good questions. And the question that came up for me was, who do I need to become now? So it was really, who do I need to become now? And that that allowed me to surface and start answering that question for myself. Mm-hmm. Things like become brave and courageous and smart and, you know, and all of the things that, that really allowed me to stand and stand in my own power. Then I also said to myself, if I could readjust this and look at this differently, what would I say to myself? And that was, this didn't happen to me. Things happening to you leave you in a state of victimhood. I chose to allow this to happen for me. Mm. And that, for me, got me to thinking, wait a second, I've got tools and resources, a platform, a voice that I could use in this space to not only free myself, but support and help others. And the, the really the final conversation for me came in, in a conversation that I had with my son. And when I had to share all of this with him, he reminded me of something. And he said to me, Mom, you are so strong. You're the strongest person I know. And besides, he chose the wrong woman to mess with. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> and that alone was like that reminding piece that I needed that I could change this for myself do something more, use what I know, use my tools, my resources, my voice, and and make a difference. And in that moment, I decided that I would go public with this. Um, and by then, I'd already contacted the police, and the legal proceedings were underway, but the decision to, to choose to do a documentary, uh, begin this outlay of sharing the story and finding other people to partner with to help others, developing a website that I'm very proud of that has a ton of tools and resources and support for victims. Uh, Really, all of that came together within a relatively short period of time. And it did so because I went back to doing what I know to do best, and that's to coach. And I began coaching myself. (laughs) And so 
but I, you know, was still, I am still carrying a, a, a load of clients who I love and adore and speaking and traveling, I started to use that time, which began, began to be very therapeutic for me to develop the website, to form this incredible team of people who are helping me to film the documentary. I have a wonderful set of producers and cinematographers and a crew that is is just incredible that I've been working with, as well as a team that's doing research and some other things. And those pieces beca- began to fall together very quickly in, in through prayer and meditation and focus. And I'm really proud of, of, of what we've accomplished thus far. And we're just getting started. Mm-hmm. We're just filming. The documentary won't be released, I'm sure, for another year or so. But these early stages have allowed me to support a lot of other people who've turned to me and said, hey, this is happening to me. What can I do? Where can I go? Right. Um, and it's it's encouraged me to, to do that and, and ultimately write a book, and um, which is underway, and, and the opportunity to, to tell this story in a way that allows people to use what I call everyday courage. Mm-hmm. And everyday courage is something that is so very important, no matter if you're in a position of myself or someone who is, you know, a 16-year-old child trying to figure this out. Right. And because not everyone is a media personality and a former news anchor and has the experiences that you have, but the messages are the same that um, how can this, how can, who do you need to become now? How can you use this for your good? It happened not to you, as you said, but for you and to be able to help others who don't have the same platform that you do have. Uh, so thank you so much um, for for doing what you're doing. It is everyday courage, but it's not um, it's not ordinary. It really is extraordinary. Uh, but I think your message is that um, everyone has the ability to take a, a devastating situation and turn it around for their good. Without a doubt, and you know I. <laughs> I can remember telling a girlfriend a couple of years ago that I would never write another book. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm almost complete. <laughs> it just it, it amazes you what happens when you know that that in your life you are here to serve and to help others and to motivate and inspire. And sometimes we move through our most challenging periods to discover a a different greatness within ourselves. And for me, that's what this message has become. And so. You know, through you know the work that I know will will come not only through the documentary, but Everyday Courage and and all of the other pieces that Fifty Shades of Silence will offer. Um, you know, this is truly about helping people to live their best life. And in this place, it it comes from a different sense of pain and intolerance. But nonetheless, we've all had to face some degree of silence or some degree of shame or embarrassment or not being able to take risks or not being courageous enough or brave enough to face something. It may not be in this space, but it could certainly be in some other space. And so my message to anyone listening is that it is imperative that you ask yourself when you're facing those major challenges, no matter what they are, and that is, you know, who do I need to become? What do I need to do now to move through this? And it's it could in fact open up, you know, your next great adventure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that's something we always need to be looking for is when we encounter different difficult circumstances in life, rather than uh, seeing them as things that are coming against us. We can look at them as stepping stones to, as you put it, the next adventure, the next season of our lives, and and the grander purpose for our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, you share on your website, I want to get into kind of the coaching piece that you said uh, you became your own coach, and you offer a lot of really practical 
advice on your website, um, Fifty Shades of Silence. Again, for those who have been through an experience like you have that involves um, cyber stalking, cyber harassment, revenge porn, um, cyber bullying, um, any, any, anything in that realm. But as you're pointing out, anyone who's encountered a difficulty, especially that led to them feeling shame. Um, talk about uh, the role of forgiveness in this process for you and for anyone who has, they've been victimized, doesn't mean they are a victim, but they have been victimized. What role does forgiveness play in this process? I believe that forgiveness really is the act and the doing of the person who's got to do the forgiving. It is more so about you if, in fact, you have to find the words um, to say, I forgive you, that is a, more of that is, is on the shoulders and in the heart of the person who has got to do the forgiving. And so when you're challenged by that, that is where the work is. And quite frankly, I'm still in that space. It takes some time when you have been humiliated and assaulted in this way. But what I've discovered for myself is there's a place before forgiveness. And that's compassion. Mm. And for me, I, I at least am at a point where I have some degree of compassion for him and this act. And that, it, in my opinion, really does take a sick person, someone who is not in their right mind and not in their right heart to do such a thing. And through whatever sense of pain or torment or uh, confusion or anger that he may have had, um, it's me understanding that to some degree and having some compassion for that, which may in fact lead to forgiveness. And, and you know, I, as, as I am journeying through that for myself, I'm, I'm hoping that that is the direction. What I'm also aware of is that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And in understanding that, it takes, it takes the pressure off of you and allows you to be in a more compassionate state when you're looking at a certain set of circumstances or a person who's done something that at least if there's some form of compassion, you lighten the load for yourself. And as we're all aware, to get to that place of forgiveness is really about releasing it entirely and and not carrying the weight of it. And it takes work in that area, but I think that that's a certain, certainly something that we all should strive to do. Absolutely. I've heard it said that unforgiveness is like swallowing poison but expecting the other person to die. And so really exactly. unforgiveness eats away at ourselves, and that person might mm-hmm. be going about their lives oblivious to even your pain. And so really forgiveness is a gift we give ourselves, and it, it frees us from bondage uh, and being tied to what was done to us. And I love what you're saying about compassion. Um, man, that's that's really something that out of this... Um, painful experience that if you could rise to the level of compassion, that certainly is, you know, along the lines of what you said, this happened for me, (laughs) Uh, to grow in compassion. Man, that's a powerful message. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is, and and you're right, it is. The the, the sense of not forgiving is very much like swallowing it for yourself Mm -hmm. and knowing that you've got to move into that place or somewhere close to it in order to move forward. Mm -hmm. Spinning and staying in confusion and woe is me and why did this happen to me is, I am a long way away from that. Mm -hmm. And and we'll we'll always encourage people that if you're there, you will never find your way out. That is not the way out. 
And you really do have to discover in yourself how to switch this and focus on something entirely different. In my case, you know, after going through several months of healing and prayer and meditation and then, of course, beginning to coach myself emotionally through it, then became the work that now fills me and excites me and, you know, I'm very excited about what's to come for the projects and, and that are in line with all of this. And so my focus is very much there in helping others. And that is very therapeutic. And so for anyone who's in that place, it's sometimes about then if you can't, you know, it's that, that, that line, if you, if you have nothing nice to say, then don't say anything at all. Mm -hmm. So my thought is if this is the only thing you have to focus on, then find something else to focus on. Mm -hmm. Focus on someone else. Go, go do something different. So your mind is consumed with something other than what may have happened to you days, months, weeks, years ago. Mm -hmm. When we replay those tapes in our mind, they do nothing but set us up for more damage going forward. Yes, very good. Well, and, and it was a friend who encouraged you to release the shame, and that probably, you know, was the beginning of uh, this journey to, through forgiveness to compassion. And so uh, talk about the importance of support from others. We have about two minutes left. It's very important. You've got to know that you, you really don't want to tread this alone, mm -hmm. and it, you want to because you don't want anyone to see you this way or, or, or you don't, you're embarrassed or ashamed to do it, but it's important to at least find one person that you trust that you can share this with, particularly to help you do the early work. Contact police, call an attorney, search for things online. Those are the things that I can tell you personally you don't want to do because you don't want to see it. You don't want to be faced with it, but someone has to act on your behalf as an advocate. Right. So if you can find that person to do that, we have on our website at 50 Shades of Silence a couple of 1 800 numbers. And so if you don't have anyone that you can connect with, I would at least encourage you to call one of the resources that we have there to at least begin pointing you in the right direction. Yes. Thank, thank you so much, Darius Chisholm with 50shadesofsilence.com. We're going to follow up our conversation on Facebook Live on November 8th, 7.30 Eastern, yeah. 5.30 Mountain for my Colorado listeners. So, Darius, I'll look forward to chatting with you again. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being my guest today and sharing your important message of hope and compassion and uh, taking action. Listeners, tune in every Thursday, Living Well with Dr. Peg on KLZ 560. I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Peg. For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.